It's time to sit down and relax for the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug. Hey there, Doug here. The next movie that we're covering is Terror Tunes 3. So that means we have to interview somebody that was an actor, maybe a director, maybe a producer. Maybe they did special effects. And we have somebody that did all of that. And it's the amazing Joe Castro. Joe Castro has been doing special effects ever since he found a magazine at a very young age. And with the support of his family, he got a camcorder when they were super expensive. And from reading instructions in these monster magazines, he started, you know, making all these masks and these molds and just creating things that are real scary with his friends and doing these little movies and changed his life. You know, he was able to win a contest, meet some of his heroes. And then years later, he's creating a cult classic called Terror Tunes. That movie came out in 2002. And for 2300 bucks he was able to make a movie and then it was in every blockbuster in America. And he has some great stories about his journey and he is super busy uh, right now with a lot of special effects works and movies he's working on. And I know you're going to like him. And he actually has a movie that's in every Walmart in America right now called Xenophobia. And it's pretty neat. So check it out. I'll put all the links to all of his stuff where you can follow him and where you can check out that movie. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, this is Joe Castro. Yeah, so where did it all begin for you? Oh, where where did my career and special effects and all that begin for me? Well, even before that, so we're like, where'd you grow up? And- well, you know, I grew up in a small town in Texas, uh, Holotus, Texas, like population like 1,400 growing up. Wow. I remember the sign that 1,400 when we would drive into San Antonio. It was just north, uh, west of San Antonio. Okay. And, um, so it was, it was about 25 minutes in San Antonio. Uh, but I grew up on a big giant, uh, goat ranch and uh, we had 55 acres of property. And, uh, my grandparents had like a general store on the property. We had a giant barn and we had a slaughterhouse on the property. Whoa. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, uh, with a very interesting childhood. Uh, you know, when I was 12 years old, my parents bought me the first video camera that was on the retail market. No way. I wonder how much that was back then. It was $2,200. Whoa. And I know that because my, my, uh, my, my father was a, uh, a sales, uh, sales rep on, on phone sales rep. You know, when he used to call you on the phone and sell stuff to you because there was no internet where you could yeah. buy anything. So my father sold, uh, uh, drafting equipment for like commercial properties, you know, when they build buildings and stuff, he sold the equipment they used to actually make all those maps and designs and stuff and all that stuff with as soon as computers came in and the computer programs of how they could do that on, uh, you know, on a, in a computer. Now he lost his job and he became a goat farmer full time. And my mother was a school teacher. So between the two of them, they, um, and I believe so probably some, with some help from my grandparents as well. My grandparents were very successful. They had a very successful business. Um, they bought me, uh, the very first, uh, camcorder, uh, which was a battery pack, and you would literally carry the 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 VHS body of the uh, of the, the you know the, the VCR on you with a strap <laughs> around your shoulder, and then it was hooked to a video camera. And uh, I was 12 at the time, and um, uh, you know that's where it kind of all began. All that same year, you know, I I um, I, I, I got a book that taught me how to make a rubber mask. 
I was a magazine actually is a magazine called Cinemagic. And I, um, what you could do is you could get a subscription to this magazine. This magazine was basically put together by other special effects artists that wanted to break into the motion picture industry. So it was a very independent kind of magazine. And um, the special effects artists that read the magazine also would send in letters to the magazine. And if you had an interesting story about how you went about making a special effect, they would print it in the magazine. So I got to meet a lot of other uh, special effects artists all over the country that way. That's and, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, you can still, I'm sure if you Google Cinemagic uh, online, in fact, I know if you Google Cinemagic online, you will find the very issue I bought. It was issue number six. Issue number six, wow. On the cover, it says, bring your alien to life. And it has a picture of a man. It looks like he's being worked on by an alien with a man with a rubber mask on. And uh, basically, it, w- it had step-by-step instructions in that magazine of how to produce your very first rubber mask, full head rubber mask. So what got you into that? Was there like a, a movie that you saw or what made your parents know that you wanted that video camera? Well, that, that, that is a very uh, good question. And uh, I have a very specific answer for that. Sweet. Basically what happened was growing up, I wanted to be a paleontologist. When I was very young, I was very interested in dinosaurs and dragons. So I thought it would be cool to dig up dinosaur bones. This is when I was like, you know, six, seven years old. And um, I have no idea why I was so intense back well, then. Maybe, maybe it was Land of the Lost. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> Land of the Lost yet. I actually didn't watch Land of the Lost. Oh, okay. much. That wasn't my thing. But what happened was, I don't even know where the dragon thing came from. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that dragons were made out of paper mache, uh, Chinese dragons. Yeah. And... Um, there was a lot of a lot of material information in books uh, about using paper mache to make art, make dragons, and make things like that. And I do know that um, there was a book that was written by Alan Alan Orbsey, who was um, the special effects artist with Tom Savani on a whole bunch of his earlier films. Okay. And Alan, oh, let me see here. Alan, I want to I want to make sure. Or Ormsey is his, that's how you spell his last name. Alan wrote a book. You can find him on Facebook, Alan. He's my friend on Facebook. Alan had written a book called, I want to say, How to Make a Monster. Yeah, How to Make a Monster, something like this, something similar to this. And I bought it in fifth grade from the, you know, the book club at, the, yeah. at, at, at my library in my elementary school. And in that, mag, in that book, it taught you how to make like a paper mache Frankenstein head hat that you could put on your head. You know, you, you put like a... Uh, uh, like a like a like a paper lunch bag, like a like a brown paper lunch bag on your yeah. head. You trim it around. You trim it around your ears so it fits on top of your head like Frankenstein. And uh, you know he 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 gave like step by step instructions. So uh, you know it, it, one thing led to another. You know paper mache, paper mache art, paper mache dragons, and then the dragons turned into dinosaurs. And then uh, uh, what happened was one Saturday afternoon, my father showed me this movie. Uh, that would change my entire world. And because um, my father was my biggest cheerleader at the time, he uh, was my biggest supporter, and he knew that I would like it. And it was Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Oh, nice. And um, have you, if, you've, if you've never seen the film, it's, it's considered the darkest Godzilla film of all of them. And it's because Godzilla almost dies in the movie. And um, they, they show people actually being killed on camera by the other monster that Godzilla's fighting. They, uh, the smog monster sprays like this acid 
this acid fumes in the air and literally everybody's skin deteriorates in the film and they turn into skeletons. So there's makeup effects, there's creatures, there's miniatures, you know, you got Godzilla's rotoscope breath in it. There was a little bit of every aspect of special effects in that film. And um, when that movie was over, over, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, you know, and it was very clear that I wanted to, I wanted to make monsters and make special effects for movies. That's so awesome. So, so from you getting that camera, what was your next step to like achieve that dream since you had your eye on the prize? What was that next step that you were able to take? Well, you know, what happened was after I got the video camera and um, I had the magazine that taught me how to make a rubber mask, I was able to make short films and put my makeup effects into short films. You know, the natural course of events. I'd write my own short films and then I'd, I'd shoot them with my friends and I'd, I'd put, uh, put my, my friends in the movies and kill them and you know, like well, <laughs> most young people do these days when they have a video camera, they make a slasher film. But at the time, you know, uh, there was only a handful of people around the country that were doing this. It's not like today where everybody has a video camera on their phone. Yeah. What happened was, um, let me see. I, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Savani uh, was very accessible at the time. Back in 1982, 83, 84, you could literally call the area code of the state you or city or state you were trying to reach let's say philadelphia where tom savannah lives and then i i would call uh the 411 operator and uh plus i said the area code plus 411 i think it was yeah and then that operator would answer the phone so the pittsburgh 411 which was information would, would pick up and i'd say may i have please have the number to tom savannah and they'd say spell his last name and i'd give it to them and they'd give me tom savannah's home phone number oh man and I could call him on the phone and I could talk to him for hours. And Tom was very nice to me, you know, I was a young kid and he spoke to me on several occasions. And, you know, he taught, he taught me how to, uh, to use a uh, chemical fire extinguisher and load compressed air into it to spray blood. He, he taught me several things over the phone. He was a very kind man, very knowledgeable. And, uh, and uh, so he was a big influence in, in the beginning. And, you know, I just reached out to different people, you know, people in that, in that magazine, there were other special effects artists throughout the country, and uh, I read a lot of I read a lot of information uh, in books and magazines. Taught myself how to use uh, uh, the different special effects materials that were talked about in in Fangoria. Even Fangoria had uh, in depth interviews with special effects artists. They don't do that anymore in Fangoria, which is um, uh, something I miss, um, and uh, they need to bring back. Uh, and then um, you know, basically. What happened was I won a national special effects makeup contest at the age of 15 and they flew me out to Los Angeles. And I, um, I met with uh, Forrest G. Ackerman. If you're not familiar with who Forrest G. Ackerman is, Forrest G. Ackerman is the very first sci-fi horror fan ever. Uh, and that's because he, he coined the phrase sci-fi. So whenever you see sci-fi written down, that's a coined phrase. That's no why way. the sci-fi network... That's why the sci-fi network doesn't spell it that way because they don't have permission to use it. Oh, and, no um, way. yeah, yeah. So he, he, and, and, oh, Phil Forrest, Forrest had the very first horror magazine ever. It was called famous monsters of Filmland, And then he did an offshoot of that magazine called Monsterland, And, uh, he had a, a national special effects contest in that he had to be under the age of 18 though, to enter it. And I was 15 at the time. And I, I, uh, I, ent- I entered my, my makeup effect in Joe Dante. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with Joe Dante. I've heard that he, name. Yeah. He directed, Joe Dante directed the howling and he directed gremlins. Oh yeah. And uh, John Car- 
John Carl Beekler, who uh, recently passed away last year, he uh, directed Troll and he directed a whole uh, Friday 13 Part 7 and a whole bunch of slew of films. Both of those two, uh, uh, one of them is a famous, well, they're both direct famous directors, but one of them is a special effects artist. They, between the two of them, they chose the winner of the contest and they chose my, my, my work as the winner of the contest. So they flew me out to LA and I got to meet all these nice people. And I was introduced to Brink Stevens and Dave Dakota and Saban Gray from the magazine. And, uh, you know, Brink Stevens is one of my best friends now. Brink oh, Stevens cool. is a screen queen. Yeah, Brink Stevens is a screen queen. She's, um, she's been in over 200 movies and I, I use her in every one of my films that I direct. And, uh, she's one of my, my personal, personal good friends. She lives about a mile and a half from my house now. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, it's a small world. You know, we, we all kind of uh, work together and play together out here in L.A. And uh, we all support each other. But, yeah, it was my introduction to L.A. at the age of 15. And, um, you know, as soon as I, I was able to move out of, of Texas, I, I hightailed it over here to L.A. And I've, I've been over here ever since, you know. What was that like at the age of 15? Especially you talked about your town of 1,400 people. Was that like just eye-opening? Just the whole experience? You mean coming out here to LA? Yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be uh, amongst there. That'd be a it big was, deal. It was, it was, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane, actually, you know, and it was, uh, it was, it was a big deal. Um, and, um, you know, my, my, uh, my family had other plans for my career. I don't think they really wanted me. To, I, 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 I honestly, deep down, I, I don't know that my, my, my mother really wanted me to succeed at what, at doing the art thing. She had other plans for me. And uh, my father, made me promise to him that I would uh, always chase my dreams. My father passed away in a horrible car accident in 97. But in uh, oh, 1989, he asked me, he, he promised, he made me promise him that I would never stop chasing my dreams. So I never have. And that's what I've been doing ever since, you know. Man, it's so powerful, especially yeah. when you have the support like that and hear yeah, yeah, those no. kind of words from your parent. And, you know, that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you end up heading out there? So what year were you, were you in LA? It was 89. In 89, I drove out to L.A. with a, a good friend of mine oh, who cool. also wanted to work in, special, work in special effects. And we loaded up our cars and a U-Haul and brought our beds over, you know, that kind of thing when you first move out of the house. And um, uh, that friend lasted three months, and then he moved back <laughs> to Texas. And, um, and then, and then I, I just want to say, the first year I lived in L.A. in my apartment, I had nine different roommates from Texas that all came and left except with the exception of one with the exception <laughs> of one that stayed. Yeah. They were volunteering for like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to stay for a long time, Joe. And they're out next week. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they would stay for, they, they would, they would last like a month, a month and a half. And it was, you know, it was just, it's just a totally different world than it is over there. No, and, no, um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, I mean, and if you're not chasing a dream, like really chasing something specific, I can see where it would be very difficult to, to be here and live here in LA if you're not really in, in the industry and uh, you're being transplanted over here. Um, yeah. I think something like I heard a statistic and this was like 20 years ago, like a hundred thousand people moved to LA every year to, to join the um, film industry. And like, I don't know, something like 80,000 of them moved back home within the first oh year. Oh my God. You know, this is the word. I interviewed a guy, his name's Kevin Kilner. He's been like a bunch of stuff. But he is like on uh, he's on like the board for SAG. And he told me like okay. the most disturbing stat. It was like he told me how many people were in SAG and it was like a staggering high number. And then when he told me how many people can actually live off of it, it was like insane. It was like 
in the like 13, 14,000. And I'm like, that's insane. He, the, I yeah, feel they, like the they, number they can is work. You, you mean, you mean they can work like consistent? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the work consistent. most of them turn into uh, fight to be, to be five core, which is basically they can still work SAG, but they can also work non-union and then they can, um, but they can't vote like for the SAG awards or something. Oh, like uh, Okay. When he told me that, I was like, oh my, that's insane. But uh, so then from there, 89, the first credit that's on your IMDb, and I know this is never 100%, it has you doing special effects for Teenage Exorcist and makeup. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The very first, the very first credit, and it's not on there, I guess it's not on there, is actually a movie called Evil Tunes. That, that really? should be on there. Uh, really? Evil yeah. too? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 to be honest with you, I didn't put any of those things up there, so I, I need to go and fix it. But um, the, the very first movie I ever did, I got credit for here in L.A., was a movie called Evil Tunes. And um, that was a Fred Olin Ray movie that I did the special effects for. Well, that looks wild. I'm looking at the cover right now. And uh, I got to work with, like, Ed, uh, I got to work with uh, uh, um, D- David Carradine in that. Oh, and uh, Artie Johnson, and that's awesome. You know, a whole bunch, of, a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of people. Uh, it, it's funny because my, like, my dad, my one of my dad's favorite movies of, or actually his favorite movie of all time was this movie called Lone Wolf McQuaid, and it stars. Um, let me see. Uh, gosh, that guy. Oh, let's see, Lone Wolf McQuaid. Any, anyways. Chuck Norris. It stars Chuck Norris oh, and David awesome. Carradine. Oh, and so, nice. so Chuck Norris fights David Carradine in it. And it was uh, like my dad's like, I mean, I, he probably watched it, I don't know, 40, 50 times. He had <laughs> it on VHS. Anyways, I couldn't stand that film because he watched it so much. But <laughs> when, he saw, when he saw a picture of me and David Carradine together on a movie set working together, you know, he was, he was just thrilled. I, you know, I totally made his whole day. You know, it was all worthwhile to him. That's so awesome. So you do the animation, you drew the animation over the people. Did you help with that? No, I actually made a practical book, this book, like the Necronomicon with a face on the front of it. And I, it was mechanical. So the book talked, it was like a mechanical book. You could actually open and there were drawings on the pages and the front of the book had a face on it. that was mechanical to talk. And then I made like creature teeth for the lead uh, a female, a I'm villain. I'm looking at it right film. now. I'm looking at it right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. And then there were like some bites that she bites people on the neck with. I think I made this book that like one of the books that burns at the end and stuff bubbles up out of the face, the eyes. And uh, yeah, I just did, I, you know, did some goofy, some goofy kind of like spooky uh, Necronomicon effects in it with some, some saw. I did all the practical effects and I didn't do any of the uh, rotoscoping or the animation. Well, that looks pretty cool. It's funny. I just interviewed the what uh, I interviewed a few months ago. It was the last episode I put out, but I interviewed uh, Michael Grace and he wrote Poltergeist one and two, but he uh, wrote cool world. And it's like right around the same time. And it's like, not like it's the same movie, but it's pretty cool seeing the animation, like on top of uh, the actors, especially back then. It's pretty neat. Right, right, right. Uh, I have a f- funny story about, um, Polter, well, Poltergeist was a huge influence in oh, my yeah? life growing up. Yeah, Poltergeist was a really huge influence. So he wrote Poltergeist uh, one and two. Yeah, you know that that, uh, that there's big controversy behind that uh, behind the behind the first Poltergeist. Supposedly, it was 
originally drafted by a gentleman, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and how it ended up, uh, in, uh, Steven Spielberg's lap and, um, uh, Toby Hooper's lap is, a is supposedly there's a huge controversy behind it. I don't know all the details of it, but that movie was a big influence in my life. Yeah. Oh, I'm just, uh, you know what I'm going to do? I, I found the, uh, the, the book It's called movie monsters make monsters makeup and monster shows to put on. It was a book that I bought and, uh, I went to Alan's page and it's there in Alan Ormsey's or, 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 Ormsey's, Ormsey's page on um, Facebook. Anyways, that, that, that was a great book to start off with for, for a young person. I mean, I was probably seven or eight when I got this, maybe even 10 years old. But uh, that's, that's one of the, the makeup uh, special effects books where I learned how to do kind of monstery kind of makeup with. And Alan wrote it. And now he's my friend on Facebook, which is amazing. And I can reach out to this man that inspired me to as a young person and uh, help with my career, you know? Yeah, that is pretty wild. So, so going back to te- uh, Teenage Exorcist. So it's kind of cool. Brink Stevens, who you met six years earlier when you won that contest, she started right. that movie. That's right. See how like it, it's just it's it's amazing. Like I have I, I I found that now like over the years, the more I interact with people in the industry, and you can't be shy about it. You know, you really gotta grab the bull by the horns. So oh, you to have speak. to. You, you know, even if you can just reach over across the table and shake their hand or touch them. But somehow the universe just brings you all together. And everybody that I, I mean, everybody that I encountered in my childhood, I've somehow ended up working with them, become best friends with them, or in some way I, I'm connected with them, you know, and um, uh, they've been an integral part of my career. Um, but yeah, uh, Brink has become an integral part of my life. And um, uh, I just think she's fantastic at everything she does. She, um, she directed a movie that my partner, Steven Escobar and I, produced it uh, hopefully will be coming out within the next year it's called personal demons and it's her directorial debut my oh, partner awesome. steven and i hired her to write produce and star in her first directorial feature yeah that's pretty awesome and so it's, it's, yeah it's pretty exciting it's a pretty exciting piece of work uh and i'm looking forward to everybody seeing it um but yeah she's got and i know she's got a lot of new directing stuff on her plate uh so it's uh it's been a long time coming for her but you know, she's been in 200 films. I think she knows something about directing. And I, I hope would to say see so. more movies from her. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, that's pretty awesome. And then I don't know if you got into talking to, with Steve Joyner about it, but uh, he works with Eddie Deason too. And, and Eddie was in. That's right. Yeah, that's pretty that's neat. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for Teenage Exorcist, I made uh, the main demon character. And, uh, and then the main de- demon character's demise at the end. I think his head gets cut off or something and i made a decapitated head with these big bulgy eyeballs i made some zombie stuff for it and uh it's been a while since i've seen the film but um yeah i remember it was like uh i get a call on thursday and they need it all on monday you know uh back then it was just like everything just happened fast and um uh i remember sitting in my little apartment in van nuys california uh, my little one bedroom on my dining room table, sculpting demon faces and sculpting zombie faces and, uh, and then uh, running them over to the shop to have them cooked in foam. Or I don't know. I might've even have cooked the foam in my, in my apartment, which is a big no, no, no one does that now, but <laughs> yeah. whether you're 19 years old and you want to break into the film industry, you do just about anything, you know? Oh, um, definitely. But yeah, that, that, that was a good times, you know, that's a good, good times. No. And then from there, not too long after that, that's when you, 
you directed and you did the special effects for Ceremony. That was your first movie, right? right? That was my first feature. Your Ceremony was my directorial debut with, uh, it was a shot on 35 millimeter Panavision motion picture. That's cool. And for most young people today, they, they have no idea what that means and they don't care either. I mean, <laughs> you know, they have, we have red cameras, we have Aries and, and other stuff that's almost, it, it's, it's good if not better. But, um, that was uh, it was a big deal like you could not make a movie in in 1993 uh unless you had money you know unless you had the means because the movie a movie had to be shot on film you had to have a film camera to shoot it with you had to be able to develop the film process it through a you know some sort of film motion picture film developing company uh our film was developed at photocam over in burbank and then you had to have a place to store the film while it was being edited, you couldn't just keep it in your house, you know, and it was a big deal. And it cost a lot of money to make a mo movie. Um, and um, I think we spent something like uh, 75,000 on the, the film stock alone, the film stock and developing of the film of the of the film alone. And that's that's kind of a big deal. Uh, today, you make uh, these kids, young people make whole, whole movies for five thousand dollars or whatever. I, uh, I I that was my first film. My second film was Legend of the Chupacabra that Troma Entertainment put out. But my third film, I shot the whole movie for $2,300. And it was my most successful film to date. It's called, a movie called Terror Tunes. Yeah, that and was $2,300? I, yeah, I shot the whole movie for $2,300. I shot it uh, at, uh, at, at my boss's house in, in, uh, in uh, Van Nuys, California at the time in 2001. And uh, we shot it over Easter weekend. It was a Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday. And uh, the first day we shot was a 12-hour uh, day. The second day was a 17-hour day. And then the third day was a 25-hour day. And I remember clearly because it was Monday morning when we finished shooting. And we could hear people outside starting their cars up to go to work, to their real jobs. And we had been shooting an entire weekend. We had been shooting for 25 hours. Wow. And we were getting ready to kill the main bit the main the villain in the end of the film and uh the birds were chirping and people were, were you know having their morning coffee and getting ready to go to work and we were we were finishing making this uh this bloody uh uh killer cartoon movie and um but that movie was uh probably been my most successful film to date and there were eight copies of that film and on vhs and eight copies on dvd in every blockbuster in america and uh, you you do the math uh I don't know, I don't even know how many stores there had in America at the time, but I do know that they moved something like fifty thousand units in the first two weeks alone. Whoa. And um and I made the move for twenty three hundred dollars. That so, is insane. When yeah, I when yeah, I looked at the trailer for the movie, because what we do on our podcast, we always like to like we like to talk movie sequels. It's called the good, the bad, and the sequel. Because I've always felt okay. with the sequel, with like how do you go from one to two or one to three? Right. Or so I think it's well, fascinating. Well, yeah, you know, well, from one to two, after one did so well, a man, a, 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 a producer that I knew approached me and said, hey, Joe, I would like to pay for part two to be made, you know. And uh, he said, I'd like to put a little bit more money into it. And uh, so part two was made. Uh, and um, I had an out, kind of an outside influence. It needed to look a certain way. It had more of a... Uh, commercial feel to it. The first one's a very kind of dark, gritty cult film. Yeah. And uh, the second one, um, the second one uh, was made with a little bit more money. I think we made it for like thirteen thousand uh, dollars. But um, you know, we um, we it was it didn't have a successful uh, uh, 
domestic release. Uh, the the person that was distributed, the, my, our our producer, uh, who also acted as the part distributor, he um, he passed on a really good offer at the time. He didn't know what good money was when it came to uh, getting money up front, and uh, you know at the time you could get about twenty five thousand up front for 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 a shot on video feature. And uh, they, uh, we made the movie for thirteen thousand, and they gave us. I think they offered us fifty grand up front, and he passed on it. Oh man! And uh, today you'll never get fifty thousand dollars up front for for a shot on video feature. But back then you could, and uh, he passed on that, and that was probably the worst mistake he'd ever made. And uh, but we we he gave the movie to my partner and I, Stephen, and we put it out on our own. And uh, it had it had its own life, eventually. But um, it's not. Uh, it, I don't think it's the most popular of of the of the franchise. And uh, we just released the third one about three years ago, oh, and it cool. stars uh, Herschel. It stars Herschel Gordon Lewis. He's in it, and um, that movie had a, a great response with the uh, film festivals. It's uh, it's probably um, you know it's probably uh, one of the, a film that I'm most proud of. It's 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 like my masterpiece actually, but uh, it, it had a very limited release, so a lot of people haven't seen it. And um, if you love Terror Tunes, if you love the first one, you're gonna love Part Three. Uh, and the fans that have seen it really, really enjoy it. It's like basically a 75-minute special effects shot. It took us six years to make the film. Whoa. The first film was shot, was shot in three days for $2,300. The second one we shot in seven days for 13000 And the third one, it took me six years to put together. <laughs> and wow. uh, it, it, it's, like, it's, like, it's like one big, long special effects shot, like I said. Uh, the whole film is, a, is like a visual a visual uh, overload. Uh, the whole thing is very stylized, and uh, and every every uh, bit of it is, is it was done intentionally, and it's done uh, uh, with a lot of finesse and with uh, a lot of technique and a lot of uh, skill. Yeah. No, you know what? Well, maybe we'll check that one out. You know, it's funny. So when I look at the first one, I watch the trailer, and it's just me being when I'm 33. So. In 2002, uh, Beverly Lynn was in a lot of like those late night like Cinemax or Showtime movies, and I'm like, yes, I, yes. I know her. And then I looked at her IMDb, and I'm like, oh my god, I remember looking up that one movie on on, on demand, like on Comcast, like back in the day. But uh, that was cool. You had and her. Beverly's actually, yeah, actually got Beverly and uh, uh, Lizzie Borden and a lot of people from the original cast to come back and be in part three. So it's kind. Of, it's a really cool reunion. If you're a real big fan of the first film, the all the mo- most of the cast from the first film is in the third one. That's they cool. make uh, appearances in it. And um, yeah, Beverly and I are still very close. I'm still very close with Lizzie Borden and and uh, and and Carrie Lou from the first the first film. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a, definitely an adventure. No one knew that it was going to take off like it did. I guess it was kind of a one of a kind thing. And block when Blockbuster picked it up, it went everywhere, and everybody got to see it and it uh uh you know and, and it found its own uh a fan base um i love finding fan art online from the characters from the film um, and we still have yeah we still have a, a big support of it yeah 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 i I miss and i think it was really i know there's a lot, a lot of options now for like horror films to be able to like you know there's shutter and there's so many like streaming apps you could like look at movies but i really miss like going to blockbuster like as a kid or after work. And I used to love, right. Like, and lo- and looking so at the, yeah. And the looking, yeah. 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 No, I, I, I hear you loud and clear. It was, 
it was definitely cool to see what everybody was doing and to be able to uh, uh, to check out. Yeah, you're, I get it. Yeah, I lived. Me and my wife, uh, we we. I'm from New Jersey. We're back in New Jersey, but we lived in Portland, Oregon for three years. And at the time, there was like one of five or six blockbusters like left in America. And now there's only that. I think there's only one in Alaska, but it was cool. in Alaska. Yeah. It was cool just to go in it. And like that experience of like seeing that cover art, picking it out. And then maybe like the cover art was like good. And that was the only good part of it, but it was cool picking out movies like that. Especially, especially horror. Right. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. It was definitely an experience. I mean, you could spend, you could spend 30 minutes in there just looking around at, oh, yeah. at all the stuff. And, and, and it gave it, you know, it was, it was um, it was more difficult for just not just anybody could put out a film. You know, you had to, the film had to have criteria and it had to meet it had to meet certain guidelines and it had to in order to make it to that shelf. And uh, so, you know, you weed out a lot of a lot of bad stuff, a lot of stuff that is, is I think there's a lot of fluff online these days. You know, there's a lot of stuff that uh, it's just. Um, it's not uh uh uh, it's it's not watchable there's a lot of stuff that's just not watchable you know (laughs) and uh it's it's like going to buy a new song you know if you go to i mean a lot of people use these streaming services where they just listen to music but try going to buy new music at random today on itunes or something like that and you'll never you'll never be able to find anything new because the market is just flooded with so much stuff you know um but yeah yeah, I, I really pre- I re- really used to enjoy the fact that I could get my films, uh, each one of my films, in the blockbuster, and uh, you know, it was certain. It was a, it was definitely a bad boys club when you got your movie into a blockbuster or Hollywood oh, yeah. Video that or, been or cool. Netflix. You know, yeah, you're right, right, yep. So one of the things I'm going to ask you about other things, uh, real quick. But one thing that caught my eye when I looked at like your bio is uh, the Summer of Massacre. Yeah, the Guinness Book World of World Record. That is that is something. Is that what was the record before that? Did you know? I think it was like fifty three, <laughs> like through fifty three, fifty three kills, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Now uh, my partner and I set out to get that record, and, 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 and you know, people think oh, it, it was very difficult to do. It wasn't as easy as you think. There were a lot of specs involved, and. Um, but we, um, I, I set out to do that, and uh, and we did it, you know. Uh, and it was, um, it was kind of a big deal for us at the time, and uh, it still is today. I'm really proud of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, you know, I sat at the computer for about 11 months while, uh, while, while, while we were making that film, producing all the kills and all the gore, and I, I put myself through. Uh, CGI school to make that film happen. Oh, it wasn't. Wow. Uh, it wasn't. A, it, it was no small, small feat. You know, it took a lot of work. Uh, uh, there was. A, it was a lot of work involved to make that happen. So over the years, is there like a particular? Obviously, creating your own film and getting to blockbuster is like such a, such a huge accomplishment. But is there another movie that you worked at worked on over the years? Like whether it be like visual effects or special effects that you were like when you saw the end product of what you created that you were like, wow, I can't believe that. Well, I, we, we just released our 18th feature film and it's titled Xenophobia. And I've been wanting to make that movie for 20 years. So I've been wanting to make that movie even before terror tunes. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah. And uh, Xenophobia is the very first ever alien abduction anthology movie. I always try to do first, you know, get a book of world record, 
the first killer cartoon movie, you know, the highest body count, you know, I'm always trying to do something truly original. It's very hard to get a mainstream, uh, a mainstream audience to take a bite on and appreciate something new. You know, I always use this as an example. Have you ever had a uh, everything bagel with smoked lox, cream cheese, capers, cucumbers, onion, and tomato? No, I have not. <laughs> but you would make see, that. See, but, but, but you see, see, it's like the first time someone stuck that in my face and said, here, have a bite. I'm like, I'm not going to eat that. You know, and 15 years later, I finally took a bite. And I was like, oh, my gosh, why did I wait so long to eat it? It was amazing. It was like crack for your mouth. It was so good. <laughs> That's awesome. And that, and that is, that is what I like to do when I'm making a movie. You know, people go online and they'll review my films and they'll say, oh, it's, it's crap. It's this. It's not, it doesn't look like all everybody else's movie. So it can't be good. And, um, but that's not what I'm trying for. I'm trying to do something completely unique. So we made this alien abduction anthology film and, um, I'm very proud of it. It's a very commercial film. It got in, I mean, it's in Walmart for God's sake. Really? How much more commercial can you get? How much more commercial can you get than that? <laughs> it's in every Walmart. It's in every Walmart in America. And, uh, it stars a really, really good cast of people. Uh, uh, and it stars Manu Itarami. He's one of the actors from the very, uh, from a uh, Star Trek Voyager. And, oh, okay. um, and, uh, uh, let's see, a uh, Kristen Renton from Sons of Anarchy is in it. Kelly Ryder from Sons of Anarchy is in it. Uh, Nick Principe is, he plays Chrome Skull from the late duress movies. It's a horror film. He's the guy that wears that Chrome Skull mask oh, okay. and kills people. Anyway, yeah, Nick Principe is in it. Um, anyways, it has got an all-star cast in it. And, um, uh, it has all practical alien effects in the film. And then, uh, the only digital effects in the movie are, uh, all the spaceship stuff I did. I did all the spaceship stuff myself. But if you love like Star Wars, practical aliens, like the cantina scene, and you like yeah. um, like uh, with a little bit of horror edge to it, sci-fi with a little horror, like from the 80s, you're going to love this movie. And um, the movie is actually PG-13. It, but, but to be honest with you, there's some stuff in it I think that would probably have given it an R rating back in the, in the 80s. But things are so different today. I mean... I go on 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 uh, regular broadcast television. Have you ever seen that show? Um, the good I think it's called The Good Doctor. The Good Doctor, and it's about the 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 the, the doctor. I think he's like mentally challenged doctor. Oh he yeah, has, he like, has autism. Yeah, and he and they show like full like open heart surgery in that. There was a scene <laughs> yeah, where yeah. this guy had gotten stabbed by a swordfish and they pulled the swordfish out of his leg and blood started pumping out of the artery in his leg and the a woman stuck her finger in that hole to stop the bleeding and they showed all of it like it's not even slightly hidden on on camera you would never get away with doing that you know <laughs> back in the 80s or 90s so my point is is that there's some pretty graphic stuff in it too even though it's pg-13 uh yeah so i'm very proud of the film xenophobia and uh you know, I've been wanting, like I said, I've been wanting to make it for 20 years and all the stars aligned last year. My partner, Steven Escobar, and another good friend of mine who's also a talented director, his name is Thomas Churchill. All three of us together wrote, produced, and directed the film. We say it was th th three directors. And um, we all had our own portion of the film, but we all were on the same page. We even had two directors of photography because we shot a portion of the movie in Los Angeles 
and a portion of the movie in Texas. And even the two directors of photography collaborated and spoke to each other and showed each other each other's work. So that way it all had a, a uniform feel to it. That's awesome. And uh, it was it was a very, a very wonderful collaborative effort with a lot of really talented, nice people. And uh, I'm very proud of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so when go out is, and check that out. No, no, I'm gonna, yeah, I just put it on my watch list. So uh, Terror Tunes 4 and 5, are those done already? Yes. They're already shot and in the can. But remember, it took me six years to put out part three. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the truth is, is, is Terror Tunes, like the tagline for part three uh, on the movie poster, it says, in the cartoon dimension, anything is possible. And, and you know, when I'm making these films, there is no, there's no formula for, for a cartoon. Anything is possible. And, and when I'm the director and I'm the special effects artist creating it, I just, there's no limitation. So when I get down to the act of post-production and I start putting this stuff together, it's, it, it's like reinventing the film all over again. It's like rewriting the script all over again. Anything is possible. And, um, and it takes a while. It takes a while to get through that in post-production. So um, uh, part, part four has been sitting on, four and five has been sitting on my partner's drives now for almost uh, uh, seven years. Oh, wow. And uh, it's been in the can. Yeah, we shot three, four, and five back to back. And, uh, uh, but uh, we're going to get it out. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it out. Uh, like I said, I'll also bring Stevens' uh, directorial debut is a part of Terror Tunes 4. Oh, and that, really? That's, that's already awesome. in the can. That, that, that's, yeah, that's already been done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And you have a lot, a lot of other things going on, too. Like when you look at your IMDb, I, you're a pretty busy guy. I'm, uh, I've been very, been very fortunate and very busy over the past, uh, three, four years. Uh, the past year has been very good to me. I've, I've worked on several projects with Thomas Churchill and, um, with many direct different directors. Um, Clown Motel is a movie that's out right now. Uh, that was directed by Joseph Kelly and, and is produced by Joseph Kelly and Dave Bailey. It's a very fun, very fun film and it's very well received, uh, and um, let me think of what else came out this year. Uh, Xenophobia. Um, and then um, I just did this really large creature movie with Thomas Churchill. And I can't give any details about it away. I yeah. think it's going to be coming out in, um, in February of next year. Now, the only thing I can say about it is the creature in the film, when I was approached to make it, they, this is how it was described to me. Joe? I got to be able to put somebody in its mouth like it can eat them whole. <laughs> I can, and I was like, okay, I get it. You know, they, they said picture like Jaws, like when John Shark was on the boat eating the guy. That's what we want to do with it. I was like, okay, cool, cool. So it was, it was the biggest creature I've ever made for a movie. And, um, you know, my good friend Thomas Churchill uh, honored me to make that creature. I can't wait for everybody to see it. That's so awesome. Is there anybody since you've been doing this such a long time and you had those great interactions back in 85, is there anybody that you worked with early on that maybe was, or even recently that was younger that you like give a shot to and almost mentor because it, you've done so much and you know, you taught yourself CGI and all the special effects. You know, I, I, I can, I mean, I have, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, um, Wow, that's a really difficult uh, thing to respond to, and only because I have been—I've uh, been a loner for a, for a while. You know, uh, I just let a couple of people into my world. 
there's very few artists out there that I that I've been able to successfully collaborate with. Oh, that's but cool. um, uh, and and I I think uh, it's only because I have a really clear vision of what I want to do now. And um, I think uh, when it comes to working with other artists, sometimes um, uh, if you're not on the same page, it just does not work. It just does not work. And uh, uh, I, I've developed my own formula to successfully navigating a collaborative effort with our director and a producer. And ultimately as an artist, um, I think that's one of the areas of an art artist's life that is pitted against them. You know, part of being an artist is that you want to be truly original. You want to stand out. You want to be different. You want to be known for your work. And ultimately when you're working on a motion picture, um there's only really one vision and that's the director's vision and if you can successfully take what's in the director's head and pull it out and produce it for them then you've done an amazing job and over and over again i see where other artists fail even though they're amazing artists they're amazing sculptors and they're amazing painters they just don't have the capability to completely collaborate with the director and uh, it's not their job to be an artist it's their job to take what's in the director's head and pull it out and, and, and produce it for them, you know? So uh, I've yet, I, it's, it's very hard for me to find other artists that are willing to sacrifice their own vision in order to be a team player with the actual director. It's been a long time since I've seen that. And uh, there's a couple of young people that I'm allowing into my world right now uh, that I've been uh, talking to. There's one young man uh, that I recently had come over and uh, we, uh, we painted a dead body together and uh, I, he's super talented. And um, the next uh, film that I, that I need a, 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 a partner to come in and create with me, I'm definitely going to hire this young man, oh, that's um, awesome. but I'm not going to give any names out right now, but oh, no, no, I, I I've been search I've, I've been searching for a while. And, uh, but there are a couple of people out there that I would be, that, I, that I'm looking forward to working with. Yeah. Yeah. I respect yeah. that. You know, you're looking for the right people. You just don't want to, take anybody in because you have a certain vision and obviously it's working for you. You're super busy and you've done so much in the, in the industry. Most of the time I talk to some people, they don't have their hands in so many different cookie jars, but you've done so many different things. And that's, that's so great for the whole process. You've touched every part of the process. I, uh, I, 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 and, and I, I think that it's important to have a working knowledge of other departments and other things because um it, and then you're it's like i said it's more of a collaborative effort you know you understand the pitfalls and the trials and tribulations the other departments are going through you can be the devil's advocate and um second you know you, you can be there as a second voice to the other departments for a, when it's a collaborative effort and and you know when there's going to be a mistake made i can't tell you how many times i've had to like you know, ask the director or the producer to trust me and allow me to do what it was that I needed to get done because I have 37 years experience and they really need to listen to me. So they're not, uh, 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 you know, beating their head against the wall in post-production later on when they realize they've made a mistake. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, when it comes to working on a motion picture set, it's, uh, very important to be a team player and to respect the fact that there is one vision everybody's uh, trying to work towards. Yeah, no, that makes, that's, 
That's awesome, man. And this has been great chatting with you. And I always ask people this question, but I know the answer because it's something you always done from the beginning. So I'm just thankful and for yourself and people that love your films that, you know, you got that magazine, you were able to smart enough to call 411 and learn some of those things <laughs> from Tom. But yeah, yeah, if not, yeah. you'd be like working at the Smithsonian right now, working with dinosaur bones. And you, I'd be, you know, I'd be, uh, I'd be working dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it may, that may have been the case. You know, I'm grateful <laughs> for my father pointing me in the right direction. Yeah, that's I'm really cool. That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, hey, if if uh, anybody wants to know more about my stuff, uh, you can check me out on Instagram. Uh, my uh, my my handle is Joe underscore Castro underscore director and then uh on facebook which is where i'm normally uh all my pictures are there you can reach out to me there send me a message it's facebook.com backslash joe.castro and uh everybody go check out xenophobia which is basically means the fear of aliens it's out right now on all the home media platforms and it's on uh it's at every walmart in america sweet yeah i'll put all the links in there and uh yeah one of your photos i commented on it man you're a pretty you're pretty Jack dude. You're pretty scary. Oh, back, yeah. then. back in the day, you know, it's, it, <laughs> it, uh, I, I, you know, when you're working with like hundred pound bags of plaster and you're in the special <laughs> yeah, effects shop, you're doing practical effects, you know, that's a part of the game, man. You gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be tough. It, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a man's, uh, uh, you know, kind of a bad boy's club doing special effects work. And there are a lot of very talented women out there, but you know, uh, back in the day in the eighties and nineties, it was uh, it was a bad boys club, and we had to be buff, and uh, we had to be tough. You know, there's a lot of pe- a lot of people picking and poking at each other, and and uh, it was a it was highly it is, it is still very highly competitive these days, and That's it still awesome. is. So yeah, <laughs> thanks for that, Joe, and uh, thanks for chatting. We'll we'll talk again soon. All right, Doug. Thank you so much. Take care. Wasn't Joe great? Talk about having the support of his family, and he really appreciated that bond that he had with his dad. And he just loves movie making. You could tell that from talking to him. He loves being able to create and check out his IMDb. He is creating a lot and helping a lot of filmmakers with their special effects over the last couple of years. So, Joe, thanks so much. And tune in this Thursday. We have our review of Terror Tunes 3. And we just recorded that today. And that movie was wild. It's an, on Amazon Prime. So you check it out for free. Actually, Terror Tunes 1, 2, and 3 are on Amazon Prime. So if you have a Prime account, check it out. And again, don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at Sequels Only. Good night. <laughs>